The homily is based upon the reading from Matthew 9, which we just heard. Sisters and brothers, in order to expound this familiar reading from Matthew 9, I want to take us, first of all, back into the Gospel of Matthew, to the Sermon on the Mount, to a saying of Jesus that we modern readers actually might misunderstand. It's Matthew 6, verse 22. And Jesus said this, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, here's the problem. When Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body, we automatically interpret the metaphor in light of, pun intended, in light of how we scientifically understand light to work and our eyes to work. That is, we know scientifically that light comes into our eyes and it connects with some complicated neuro stuff and then it sends messages to the brain and then we, then we, we know stuff. In other words, we think of the eyes as openings through which light comes into the body. And of course, there's a sense in which that's correct. But there is actually an abundance of evidence that Jesus' words would not have been understood in that way and that he did not intend them in that way. Rather, just as a lamp shines out and enables light to fall now on this object, now over here in this direction, so it is with your eyes. For the ancients, light comes out of the body through the eyes. And the eye is the lamp of the body. It goes whatever direction the lamp points. When the light chooses to rest on something good, well, that tells you about what's in the body. The light comes out and it chooses, for instance, in Matthew 6, to serve God the Father and him only. On the other hand, if the eyes rest on something flawed or evil in order to serve that reality, then the light is really darkness. And it means that the darkness inside of the body is really dark. Now, in Matthew 6, Jesus uses this image to warn his disciples not to serve mammon. He says, don't shine your lamp on that. Don't let your eyes light on that. Don't set your heart on that, for no one can serve two masters. You cannot set your light on. You cannot serve God and money. So the point is this. Where you look and what you see when you look there says something very important about what's inside of you. Now, why do I bring this up as a way of introducing the reading from Matthew 9? Well, here's the reason. Matthew writes, after the call of the tax gatherer Matthew, he then writes, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And then this. When the Pharisees saw this. When the lamp of the Pharisees, when their eyes came to rest on what was going on in that house, then they revealed the darkness. 
that was inside of them. Now notice that they don't actually criticize, at least explicitly, or confront Jesus. And they don't say anything about him in particular. They're actually willing to call him teacher. Now, they're not happy about what's going on. And there could be any number of reasons why they're not happy. But what they are actually objecting to is the presence of those people, the tax gatherers and the sinners with Jesus. Why are those people there with him. Whatever objection they may have with Jesus is caused by the people that they see around him. And, to be honest, there would be more than one way to see those tax gatherers and sinners. It was actually true, objectively true, that these were people who typically had made really, really bad choices The Pharisees could also be seeing them as those who didn't measure up to the oral tradition. That's probably going on here as well. But the basic problem, they're looking at the tax collectors and the sinners, and they see them as them. And they think, we are not like that. We study the word of God and we try to do what's right. And even though we fail, and yes, Pharisees did understand that they failed, we are not like that. The Pharisees, it seems, were all about comparison. To borrow a passage from the Gospel of Luke, it was a Pharisee in the parable who said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other men. And here they look at Jesus and they say to his disciples, why? Why them? Now Jesus, of course, gives them a new way to look at these troubled and broken people who are all around him. He says, in fact, that they're sick. And if they're sick and Jesus is spending time with them, then that means that Jesus is a doctor. Yes, they're sinners, but after all, As Jesus reveals, that's the only kind of people for whom he has come. I did not come for righteous people of whom there actually aren't any, but sinners. I came to call sinners. I came as a doctor for people who are sick, just like these people. Now, uh, what I'd like you to do at this moment is to uh, use your imagination, your memory, and uh, perhaps also your own pain. And I'd like, to imag- I'd like you to imagine a person or maybe a certain kind of person that you are actually tempted to despise. Someone that you either are actively despising <laughs> or for whom it would be really easy for you to do that. Someone on whom you shine the lamp of your eyes and think, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like that. Now, it might be someone out in society. It might be someone that you read about in the paper, uh, some sort of a radical, non-Christian, evil sort of person. Um, Could be someone in your congregation. Could be someone in our church body. Someone of whom you think so little that it's difficult for even to talk about them in a civil sort of way.
And now, I'd like you to imagine that person reclining at table with Jesus. Because people who are well don't need a physician. <laughs> it's got sort of common sense. Rather, people who are sick need a doctor. And I want you to imagine Jesus reaching out in love to whoever it is that you're imagining. In fact, maybe to lots of those kinds of people. Because he does want to love them and forgive them. And yes, to change them. Although perhaps not in all of the ways that we think he should. <laughs> you see, all those people that you're thinking of, all those sinners, and they are that, they are sinners, all those people and all of us, we're, we're just sick people who need a doctor. And the God of Israel, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that one true God desires mercy for all, even his enemies, even though he knows that many will spurn his mercy and turn away forever from it. Even when they crucified him, even when they mocked him, even when they tried to seal the tomb and make him go away, even after they spread the lie that the body had been stolen, even then Jesus desires mercy for everyone, for them, <laughs> for you. And so he became God's mercy for all, and he called people like Matthew, people like them, <laughs> to follow him and to be his. For who am I? Who am I other than someone to whom mercy has come and with whom mercy is having its way? And who are you other than someone to whom mercy has come and with whom mercy is having its way? And what is mercy? I think it's like light. <laughs> it's like light that can fill the whole body. And then the light fills the body and it becomes gleaming and shining and full of light. And then when I look at others who could easily be them, in the light of the mercy that fills every nook and cranny of our being, then it's hard to have them. There's only mercy. And there's wonder that at the table there is a place also for you. Our symposium theme is Scripture in the Church, Formative or Formality. And Jesus actually raised that question with the Pharisees, didn't he? He said, Go and study Hosea. <laughs> Go and study the Bible. You need scripture to form you. In all of our learning and speaking together these several days, let there be no them. <laughs> let there be only sick people for whom the physician has come. Let there be no them. Only troubled, broken, outcast people to whom Jesus in mercy has said, follow me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>